0: what up everybody welcome to another episode of the live better sell better podcast this is your host kevin dorsey aka kd and today we are going to talk about one of the least talked about issues that we see across companies across the board when trying to grow and when trying to solve problems so often when a company is trying to grow they throw people at So often when they are trying to solve a problem, they throw people at it. If we just have enough people, if we just have the right people, if we just have more people, then we will grow. You raise a bunch of money. What do you do? You go hire a bunch of people. And yet, time and time and time again, it does not work, but companies do it over and over again. That is why I'm so pumped to have Adam Jay on the show with me today. He has been the CRO at Falcon, VP of Sales at OnQ and SwagUp. He's been in the game. He is a practitioner at high-growth startups, and he's going to talk about his unique process on how to grow. to solve, how to improve without just throwing people at it, which is so important in today's more cost-efficient world. So buckle in, y'all. This is going to be good. Adam, my friend, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Long time in the making. I'm stoked to be here. Hell yes, my dude. Hell yes. So let's talk about this, right? Because this is a topic that no one has talked about on the show so far. And this was the first thing you responded when I said, like, what do you want to talk about? It's this idea of throwing people at problems. So let's kind of just... Paint the scene here? Like, why is this so top of mind for you? It's top of mind because in my last,
1: I don't know, three or four roles, every founder, whenever we've had a problem, whether it's, you know, NRR is down, we don't have enough leads, sales aren't fast enough, the answer's always been the same. And it's nothing against the founders. I want to clarify that up front. I'm not calling anyone out here because they've been trained to have this mindset, right? It's just go hire more people, go hire more reps, sales are down. Hire three more sales reps, they'll fix it. Leads are down, we just need more people in marketing. And as I've made this transition into working for myself, I was having a conversation with a founder the other day and it was so refreshing to me because I expected him to tell me, sales are down, help me hire more people. He didn't. He's like, sales are down. We need to look at our messaging, we need to look at our product, and we need to look at why People aren't buying versus just hiring more people to go sell the message that we have.
0: And that's a great kind of segue then to kind of start to break this down, right? Is like, so say I am, I'm having a revenue problem. What are the steps I should go to or the steps I should go through before? I hire people. Because sometimes you do need more people. That is the reality. But what's the process you would have a founder go through or a CRO go through to say, hey, you need to know these things first before you throw people at it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going back to basics, right? You need to, everything starts with top of funnel. So it starts with how many leads do we have coming in and how many leads is, and that's inbound, and how many leads is the team bringing in from a top-of-funnel perspective. Hiring more people if they're not at capacity with qualified, and qualified is the key word here, qualified leads isn't going to fix the problem. I'm assuming I'm allowed to curse. You're going to keep chasing after shit. And we went through that. So the very first thing is you have to really start to break down your top-of-funnel, right? What's coming in from a demand perspective, from the marketing side? What is the messaging that's resonating from the sales outbound side. And too many founders, too many VPs of sales, KD, don't do this. You got to start listening to calls. And P.S., you got to start making some of your damn self. Use that messaging, reach out to people, see what's resonating. And when it's not resonating, when deals aren't closing, you got to ask people why. You can't be afraid to say, and I've said it to numerous customers in one of my most recent roles, hey, KD, like, I get the sense this isn't hitting the nail on the head for you. Like, what's missing? The biggest single source of product market fit is your customers and they're gonna tell you what's working and what's not. So that's the very first step that I would take is really start to diagnose that top of funnel and understand like what are the leads coming in? Where are they coming from? And really start to get super deep with the analysis of are we getting leads from Facebook? relevant for a client I'm working on. Most people will not get leads from Facebook. Are we getting leads from Instagram? Are we getting just cold leads? Where are those leads coming from? And then start really looking at the
0: best source of those leads and tie it back to your messaging. So let's keep going down the messaging path, right? Because I think oftentimes that's actually one of the reasons why especially early stage founders and, you know, I would say early VPs as well, hire people is to hire people to bring in different messaging, right? Because like the messaging isn't working. It's so like, all right, well, if I get some better reps, they'll have better messaging. If I get some better, whatever, it's like, how do you I guess, test and tweak that messaging? Like, how do you find out what's actually resonating, right? Because asking like what's missing, like that's one part of it, but it's like, that's assuming they're already in the conversation. What's the steps you go through to fine tune? Messaging to make sure, right? Because throwing more people on bad messaging isn't going to do it, but hiring reps to bring in their own messaging also rarely. So like walk through us through with that a little bit. I think the very first thing
1: that I have people do, it goes back to that elevator pitch, right? Like when I'm working with someone, I'm gonna ask arguably everyone in the company, what do you do? What does bench do? And where the problem is gonna lie in most organizations is if you ask 20 people. You're gonna get 15 different answers. and those 15 different answers are what is now being put out in marketing you know from a top of funnel perspective. It's what your reps are saying. No one is aligned. So the first thing we have to do is understand like what the hell are we selling and what do we do? And I tee it up with you might have been the one who taught this to me, maybe not. When you're sitting around the dinner table you know with your friends and family and someone says, like, "What do you do for a living?" How would you answer that? So that's first and foremost, we have to make sure that we're aligned. The other thing is, listen, there's lots of great tools out there, whether it be Gong or Attention or Win or whatever, where you could you know, programmatically go in and listen to sentiment and listen to what's working. And I think that that's important. But the very first thing that I want to do and have founders do, I want to go back and talk to customers that have actually purchased. And I want to understand why did you choose to buy ABC product What was it in our conversation that made you say, hmm, this is for me? And that's what I'm going to start crafting our messaging around. Because these are people who have actually bought. These are people who are paying us money. And chances are, the reason that they are paying us money, if we can tweak that verbiage and get it right, is the reason other people are going to pay us money. And it it takes time to do that, right? Like It takes time to understand what works and what doesn't versus any founder, any VP of sales thinking this is our value prop. If I go back to Falcon as like we would say our value prop is Intelligent Revenue Automation. That is what the script said that we needed to say. You and I both know if I call you and tell you I want to sell you Intelligent Revenue Automation, you're going to look at me like I have five heads. So it goes back to the customers. Why did you purchase this product? What was it that excited you? And using layman's terms, very basic wording, that is how we started to iterate and craft on our messaging.
0: Yeah, I always, I walk every company through and every company I've joined, like this, I call it the six magic questions, right? Of like any company I've gone to, I always interview anywhere from 40 to 50 customers. And I ask, why did you buy? What problem were you hoping to solve? What were you afraid of before buying? What's your favorite part of the product? What's changed the most since you bought the product? And how would you describe what we do to another persona? That last one, I love
1: that's almost out of all the ones you just said, that's the money question, right? If you were selling this,
0: how would you describe it? Right, and well, so it's funny. You know me, I'm a sticker on words. I don't ask them if they were selling it. I ask them, how would they describe what we do to another? Because the moment you ask someone to sell, they put their sales hat on and they become a persona, the word is like, just how would you describe what we do to another persona? But also, in terms of pipeline generation, the one that's actually most valuable in that is the what were you afraid of before buying? Because those are the unspoken objections. So if we go, say, Falcon, and you say, like, what were you afraid of before buying? I say, honestly, like, whether or not it was actually going to connect to all of my systems or like whether or not anyone was going to use it. Those are the objections that people have when you're reaching out to them. That They never respond back to you. You're going
1: to preemptively put it in your sales process and your pitch. I'm not even going to give you the chance to tell me that because part of my messaging is going to be how easy we connect to all of your systems.
0: Correct. So like those six questions, your messaging will get so much better if you go through those six, about 30, 40 customers. And like, then you've got it, right? You've got everything you need in there. And so now I'm going to ask a very pointed, I guess, sales leader, sales leader question. What if your people aren't using the messaging? How do you know if it's a messaging problem or a people problem? Like you might have all this messaging, but people aren't using it. So you don't know if the messaging works or not. Like, how do you approach that? That
1: to me comes down to a couple things. Number one, it is the trust that you're building with your team, and it's the process that you put in place. I am a huge believer in individuality, in experimentation. I often describe my scripts as, I'm not a NASCAR fan, but like a NASCAR track, right? Like, I'm going to give you the guideline. How you weave around those cars, I don't particularly care but you do need to say this. And I think it's important as a leader that we start with the why, right? And if we're really trying to hone in on what messaging is and is not working, it's having that trust with the team that they believe in the processes you're putting forth and them understanding that, listen, this is what we need to collectively say together because that is the only way that I, we, the company, you, are going to know if this messaging is working. And you want to make as much money as possible. We want the company to grow. If everyone is doing their own thing, we have no way of knowing what's working and what's not. We have to be systematic. Once we figure that out, dude, bring your personality. Iterate it on it all the time. I don't care. But what we can't have right now is a free-for-all. And it takes a relationship, if you will for your sellers to be comfortable enough with you to listen to that, especially when you come in new from the outside, right? Like you're the new guy. What the fuck do you know? Let me tell
0: you why this is important. And it's got to be about them, not about me. It's very, very, very true. So now let's keep going down this process. All right. So revenue. First, we looked at the messaging. Right. The messaging feels like it's kind of on point, right? So now do I start hiring people or what's the next step? I mean, just because your messaging is on point doesn't mean that you start hiring
1: people. Uh, um, There are people who would. I mean, so now we're—it's a numbers game, for lack of better terms, right? So again, let's look at capacity. If the messaging is right, how many leads are coming in? How many leads are each rep working? What are the close rates for those leads? What is the sales? What is the velocity between each stage? You have to look at every piece of the sales process before we hire more people. I personally, and you are much more experienced than I, I personally do not believe in hiring reps until every other rep, for the most part, is at capacity. They are working great leads, qualified leads. They are moving through the funnel at what we deem to be appropriate amounts of times, and our close rates are where we want them to be. Otherwise, we are hiring more people to get the exact same results that we have right now, whether the messaging is working or not. Just because your messaging is working doesn't mean the rest of your sales process is such that it's conducive for a customer to buy and conducive to go and hire people. Messaging is part of it, but not all of it.
0: And how do you gauge capacity? Because I think a lot of leaders get this wrong, where it's like, oh, like, either one, they say they're at capacity or they're not. Or they keep trying to squeeze out capacity when like there's far more going on than they realize like people always love this status like you know sellers only spend 35% of their time selling or whatever. You can't sell 100% of the time. It doesn't work like that. So how do you gauge capacity? How do you know when it's like all right, this is capacity and I should hire someone new Yeah so for me it's a few things like I certainly believe in
1: looking at, my sellers time and their calendars and how much time they're spending selling that said to your point there's admin work you have to do right like you're just not going to spend all day selling and that's okay what i want to understand is how many customers are and prospects are my reps talking to on a daily weekly monthly basis how many active deals are they working versus and then we're extrapolating this back to revenue and deal cycles and how many deals should they be working and should they be closing per month it is a math formula for lack of better terms and it's not just my reps say they're busy dude we're all busy i don't have time to call customers but i do you have to look at what the appropriate number again of leads opportunities deal cycle and closed one deals each of your sellers actually have before you start looking at, let's just hire another human being. And I know that was sort of a vague answer, but it is. It's literally a spreadsheet of custom numbers that comes back and looks at capacity, not KD says he has time or doesn't have time in his day.
0: Yeah. And we're actually about to, I'm doing this exercise with one of my teams right now. It's like I literally time things. I literally time things. Like, okay, how long does it take to log a deal? How long is our average call? How long? Like I time it so I actually feel like I have an understanding of like okay, like this this just happened. I was like, well, God, there's so much admin after you close a deal. I'm like, okay, let's let's how much admin? Let's let's screen share and look at it together. Let's let's time this. All right, yep, it was 14 minutes. Okay, how many deals per day are our reps closing on average? 1.4. Okay, we're less than half an hour. <laughs> Okay. So I'm not discounting that there is admin to do, but I am bringing up the fact that it's only one and a half ish per day. And so like, I should, I'll time this shit to see like, okay, because as a leader, capacity planning is very, very important. And if you don't know how long things take, you can't actually build to capacity. Even if it is like number of opportunities and pipeline or number of conversations, it's like, okay, but like, how long do those? Because every time I go through like timing exercises, I learn things on both sides. Sometimes I'm like, wow, that does take a lot longer than I realize. I'm going to pull back a little bit. The other side is also true, where I'm like, okay, that was 14 minutes. I think we're all right here, y'all. Even internally, like one of them had a few SDRs that were having like 45 minute, 50 minute long conversations and then handing it off to an AE. And, you know, what led to this, is like, why was their activity lower? Why were they pulling not enough leads? And it was like, well, they're having 50-minute conversations.
1: There's so much focus. We could go down a rabbit hole for the rest of our time together on looking at activity metrics and time and, like, quality over quantity all day long. And, like, I'm not saying that 45 minutes is right or wrong. I think it's highly dependent on your business, but I would much rather my SDRs or BDRs have five incredibly 45-minute conversations every day where four of those five leads to closed one deals versus 50 dials a day of two-minute conversations where one leads to a closed one deal. And it's very hard to get founders to understand this, that it's not just the activity, it's the outcomes that you have to look at all day long.
0: No, it is. And like, yeah, we go down that rabbit hole. So that's one that always gets the people fired up. And I'm always like, look, y'all, it's a combination of both. As much as I would love just five calls to be five conversations that are 45 minutes long, you have to make a certain amount of calls to get to that. But yeah, that's how I go into capacity is like flip sides. Also true. Okay. We've got a 5% connector. That means if we make 50 calls. We're talking to two and a half to three people. Those conversations on average are 97. Like I can mathematically break it all down to time and say, okay, this is how many calls we should be making. But then also it helps me capacity plan on like, I do need more heads to hit that activity mark because I can't ask them to make 150 calls a day because it's not going to work. So I need two people making 75 instead of leaders that encourage you and reps listening. Time things time it. Because so often too, when you actually time it, you find out it takes way less time than you realize. It's all just a mind spend thing that people think about. We all think I'm so busy. I mean, it's funny
1: because, and transparently to everyone listening, like part of why I wanted to come on the show was to learn also. I learn every time I talk to you. I time things in my personal life. Like you and I've spoken about this. I am religious with my calendar and blocking it and using Google insights to tell me where I'm spending my time. It didn't click until you said it to actually do that. It's almost embarrassing with my team to literally sit down and be like, great. I took on a new client the other day. And one of the first things I did was spend half a morning shadowing you, like, do what you normally do. I want to see your workflow and see what you're doing. But I never thought in previous roles to be like, all right, let's literally time how long your closing process takes. And I'm the biggest proponent of automating as much as I can. But I think I could see how that absolutely would have helped, not just with capacity planning, just with understanding people's days, understanding where they're getting bogged down, understanding where I can make improvements, or conversely, understanding where it's like, dude, it's 14 minutes, like,
0: you're good. That's the thing with it is like it changes the reality. One of my favorite quotes, and it, it's so funny. I learned this quote. And this was probably four or five years ago, and for whatever reason, it has really, really come back up into my world. Um, from Ray Dalio, where he talked about the leaders and companies that understand reality the best win. I just love that quote because it's true. Like if you whoever understands reality the best is going to win. The reality is this takes fourteen minutes. Once that is the reality that changes everybody's perspective, because now the rep can no longer say anything back either of like, this takes too long. It's like, no, we timed it. We know it's 14 minutes. And if it's taking you longer than 14 minutes, there's something wrong. Right. That's a you issue. And we can work through that. And we can address that. Right. But on the flip side, it's like, wow, this does take longer than I realized. Like, all right. And then I'll be the first more person to wave that flag. Be like, hey, y'all, Sorry. Let me pull this back a little bit. You probably can't do all of these in a day because of X, Y, Z issues, right? So time it, y'all. Because also, too, when you put a timer on, be shocked how much faster things go. I mean, there's always that. Oh, my God. Every time. Every time I sit down with that stopwatch, like,
1: the same with kids, right? Like every time I tell my kid to do something, like he's going to lollygag. If I'm like, dude, you, you have nine minutes to do this. And if you do it, you're going to get X, Y, Z. It's amazing how something that took 20 is now done in nine and it's done to
0: the same quality, by the way. So now let's keep going as, as we start to kind of like wrap here. It's like, okay, we got our messaging. We have the capacity. Let's say we now have determined we do need more people. How do you do that the right way? because eventually you do need people but we see a lot of companies just you know hire them one week of onboarding throw them on the phones whatever else like okay I do need more people what's that process now to do it the right way there cannot be
1: enough emphasis in my mind on proper onboarding and proper interviewing and proper interviewing doesn't mean nine interviews and you know a four week interview process that is not what i mean um, I think it starts with the job description and being very clear about what the role is and what the role is not. It starts with being very clear about, I'm a big believer in being very transparent about what the interview process is up front, right? This is the role. These are the three interviews. This is who you're going to interview with. You're going to have a chance to ask whatever questions you want. I think all of that is incredibly important. When you're interviewing, you want to make sure that the questions you're asking are tying directly back to the role that you have. And almost the same way you're ICPing a customer, you're icp your candidates. If you are a Series A startup, my opinion, do not interview the person who just got laid off from Salesforce. I'm sure Salesforce is great, they need roles, but it's a very different skill set. You're going to be wasting your time and you're going to set someone up for failure. And as a leader, one of your number one jobs is to make sure that you're setting people up for success. If someone comes in, And they don't work out, there could be a plethora of reasons. But the first thing I do is ask myself what the hell I could have done differently, whether it be onboarding, whether it be training, or whether it be I missed something in the interview process. That onboarding needs to be thoughtful, it needs to be detailed, it needs to include sales, marketing, success, the founder. You really want to make sure that when you bring someone in, you're not just throwing them on the phone to burn through your TAM. You're not just throwing them on the phone to see what works. And listen, they might get heroic and close some deals, but if they're not set up for success and they fail, they're going to have a shit experience. They're going to quit. You're now set back two, three, four, six months, plus all the money you've sent, because you didn't take the time to onboard them properly. Make sure they understand the product. The days of selling and not knowing your product inside and out are over. Two years ago, great. Everyone had money. Everyone's buying everything. You you could run a BS demo and people would buy if it slightly resonated. You can't do that anymore. You got to be a product expert. I would not put someone on the phone to demo unless they were a product expert. Make sure your onboarding program is... And it's dependent by stage, right? But you need to have structure. You need to have call recordings of what's working. You need to have you know, examples of how to work through the product. They need to understand the common objections. And then you have to build out a realistic ramp plan that includes not just metrics and quota, but also includes compensation, in my opinion. You can't, and I've seen this happen, we're just going to go hire two BDRs. We go hire two BDRs because they look good on paper. And it's day three. Here's your script. Go get on the phone. Doesn't work. And unfortunately, it happens all too often.
0: Yeah, we don't have enough time for me to rip all that to stress. I can't stand it. I can't understand it. The, the idea of trial by fire, learn by doing is just so backwards in sales. And I, I don't understand how that became the norm.
1: I had a founder tell me, we don't need a role play. We're just going to throw them on the phone and we'll listen to the recordings. Are you out of your mind? What are you thinking? You're setting this person up to fail. And that's exactly what happened. They didn't last a week.
0: Yeah, and they treat it as a filtering process, not as an onboarding process. And that's where I think people get it so wrong all the time is like their onboarding is filtering. It is not preparing anybody for anything. It's trying to find the people that might already have the thing that they need. And so from there, as we go through it, I think I'll bring up this last point, right? we talk about, like, you know, solving problems is, you know, how do you then lead your current people through those problems, right? So, okay, our revenue is, is low, or it's not, you know, things are not converting as well, right? Like, how do you lead the people you do have through those problems? And I'd say this will be a two-parter and prepare them for the reality that new people will be coming in, right? Like, how do you kind of navigate that? So my style is very much leading with
1: why. I don't believe in just giving the what. I think that barring confidentiality, like, listen, there's certain things you just can't tell people, right? But generally speaking, it's understanding the why. If our messaging's not working in my weekly team meeting, if our revenue's down, I'm not just going to come in and tell, oh, you know, revenue's down, respectfully, no shit. Everyone knows that. We all look at the same dashboards, right? You don't need a meeting to see that revenue's down. But what we do need is to come together and explain the why we think it's down. This is what I've done. This is what I've looked at. This is what collectively we've looked at and here's what we're going to change, test, iterate, experiment with, and here's why, and here's the results we hope to get. It's the same thing when we bring new people in. No one should ever be surprised that I just hired KD, and he's my new AE, and he's suddenly on the, the sales floor today, right? The team should know that beforehand. It's my job as a leader to talk about the goals that we're trying to hit, to walk them through the capacity to walk them through why we're hiring, because the first thing, especially in a startup that people are going to say is, well, KD is going to come in, he's going to take my leads, that's money out of my pocket. It's not. And let me tell you exactly why. Let me tell you what ideal capacity looks like. Let me tell you the revenue goals we're trying to go to. Let me tell you what we've tried and why we need to expand. And furthermore, when we're going to expand and hire
0: again. Yeah, I think it's just so important to involve your people in growth and in change and preparing them for it. And understand like what that means and why it is a good thing, but also understand like this is where we're going. And if that's not where you want to go, then let's have that conversation too. You know, like growth is hard, change is hard. And, you know, you'll have people that were part of a certain patch, two years, three years, where it's like... The next patch is going to be different. And it's like, do you want to keep evolving or do you want to find another position that's more like that original, you know, two, three year run? Leadership is, it's just a constant, I like to call it a game because a challenge makes it sound hard. Like it's a game. It's a game. All of this is a game. Life is a game. But like, how can you get the people you have to continue to grow while adding new people on top of to drive things forward? So I like this, man, because this is the important stuff that people don't talk about. They just throw people at it. Similar enough for a different topic, they'll They'll throw a VP at it. It's like, oh, we could have that conversation for another hour. The VP is going to come in and fix it. We need a different VP because that's what's going to change it. And it's like, oh, because it's that easy. Because it's that easy, right? To then change a culture and process that's already in place and all those fun things. So cool, man. Well, as we wrap, right? You know the name of this podcast, Live Better, Sell Better, right? Because I have this weird idea that if we lived better, if we had more energy, more fulfillment, more joy, more happiness, all those things, if the sales would also improve, what would your live better advice be for people listening?
1: To me, and it's taken me a long time to learn this, you cannot be successful you cannot help others be successful if you don't put your health, physical and mental health first. There's this old hustle culture mindset of beyond 24-7 and got to answer the slack immediately and you know don't worry about your family. And listen, I used to subscribe to it. I missed the first several years of my kid's life because I was always traveling. And it took me a long time to realize that ending my day at whatever, we'll say 6.30, Taking 15 minutes to meditate, going and swimming in the pool first thing in the morning before I start my day, getting myself in that right mind allows me to be a better leader for my team. It allows me to coach them, mentor them, and guide them better, which then puts them in a better mindset, which then helps them sell more. If you're not spending time on your physical and mental health, you are going to get burnt out. You're going to feel it. Your team's going to feel it. And the morale, the numbers, they all don't go well. Meditate, man. It's powerful.
0: I had a mentor very early on in my career, luckily, telling me the better you are, the better you can make your team, period. And like that's always stuck with me. It's like the better I am as a leader, the better I can make my team. That's mentally, spiritually, emotionally, skill wise. All of that is is the focus. So awesome, man. I love that advice. So where can people find you? Right. This was good stuff. You obviously have a knack for this. Where can people find you? Where are you putting out content? How can they get more of Adam J in their life?
1: LinkedIn, like everyone else, I spend way too much time there, which is a whole separate conversation speaking about mental health. But two places you could find me, adamj.io. It's spelled out A-D-A-M-J-A-Y. And shameless plug, Wednesday's The Revenue Reimagined podcast. We are going to be talking to the best go-to-market leaders about uncomplicating revenue. You will be a guest before you know it as well.
0: Let's go. I might I might know a thing there. Maybe, maybe one. Little thing or two. I'll just do, there's only one, There's probably only one thing that I know. So awesome, man. (laughs) Well, appreciate you as always. Really, really, really love this stuff, man. Keep doing what you're doing, all right? Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Cheers.